When work flies out of control, Harrelson's Zone keeps me cool as a cucumber. When the kids turn unholy, Harrelson's Zone keeps my patience divine. Life can be chaotic, but Harrelson's Zone CBD helps keep you calm through any storm. Harrelson's Zone consistently delivers you full mind and body homeostasis. It's an organic, full-spectrum CBD and a refreshing oral spray. Our nano-emulsified technology makes it completely water-soluble, so your body absorbs it immediately. You'll start to feel it in seconds, not 60 minutes. It just makes everything feel better. Give Harrelson's Zone a try, from our family to yours. Give your life a boost. It's just the best you've ever felt in your natural state. It just feels sensational. Go to sensational.com to order now. Sensational.com. Go to sensational.com forward slash family for 25% off your order. Yes, 25% off. That's sensational.com forward slash family. Searching for just the right job? Whether you're looking for full-time, part-time, or seasonal work, you can get started today. Amazon Jobs offer the whole package with great pay and flexible shifts that allow you to choose when and how much you work. Find a warehouse close to home and discover the role that works for you. To get your application started for an hourly job, go to amazon.com apply. That's amazon.com apply. Amazon is proud to be an equal opportunity employer. Welcome to Psychedelic Radio. I'm Christina Thomas, and I'm the president and founder of Myself Wellness. And with me is my fiance, Charles Patty, chief education officer and brand ambassador. Each week, we'll be pushing boundaries, breaking taboos, and wanting to shed light on the use of psychedelic medicines. We want to share expert knowledge and firsthand accounts of those who experience psychedelics. Joining us today is Sean Casey. Sean is a conversationally proficient fishing enthusiast with a passion for helping people learn to use psychedelics as a tool for healing. Sean has moved past his Lyme disease and transverse myelitis with the use of physical therapy and ketamine. Thanks for joining us today, Sean. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So what exactly is transverse myelitis? So transverse myelitis is an incredibly rare spinal condition. It literally means spinal swelling. So I had Lyme disease for about four years and I didn't know it. I had it for so long that it moved from my blood into my spinal and cerebral fluid. So I'd go to the doctor and tell them I'm all sick and wrong. And they'd say, oh, you're fine. You're just having a bad day. And uh, then my legs started going numb and tingly and then lost the use of my legs and my hands were numb and tingly. And uh, at a certain point, I think it was April 9th that I woke up and I, I had to say, Siri, call 911. I couldn't get out of bed. I, I was mobile. I could move my arms like meat sticks. And uh, what had happened is I had Lyme for so long. And Lyme is one of those diseases uh, almost similar to HIV in that it's not Lyme directly that bamboozles you. It's your body's reaction to it. And I had an autoimmune response to Lyme disease called transverse myelitis that made my spinal cord swell from C1 to C6. Um, typically people do not recover from transverse myelitis. I'm aware of, uh, eight or nine folks that I found in research ever that had any sort of distinctive recovery. So transverse myelitis is a spinal condition that means spinal swelling. I had an autoimmune response to Lyme disease that made my spinal cord swell from C1 to C6. People typically don't recover. It's an incredibly rare condition. I believe I read it occurs in less than 1% of the population and, uh, prognosis and outlook is not good. I was given the, uh, the reality check talk, you are probably not going to walk again. You are probably not going to live a normal life. 
Um, people just typically do not recover from it. So um, that happened in April of 2020. So I was in the hospital, immobilized and completely numb, sensationless. And out my hospital door, I could see the COVID wing and on the TV that was always on, just hear about the world going crazy. So uh, it was a, a dismal entry into a poorly understood disease with a poorly understood autoimmune response. Um, and it, it was really eye-opening just to see, I don't want to say that there was a lack of care, but there's a lack of knowledge base because these conditions are so rare in their own right. And then compounded together, it's a, a very unique case. Wow. That's a lot. That's kind of, that's scary. It's hardcore, man. Yeah. So then, so then what happened? What did, how did you start rehabilitating yourself? So I moved from the ER to inpatient physical rehab or physical therapy rehab. Uh, and I was there for about two and a half, three months. Um, they had me on IV antibiotics and as the antibiotics and steroids and everything started to beat the lime that was in my brain and my cerebral fluid and spinal column, uh, I was, I got mobility back and started to get where I could move my fingers and grip my hands, but it was still completely numb and sensationless. The medical term being ataxia, uh, I couldn't feel anything. You know, if, if you branded me with a hot iron, I wouldn't have been any of the wiser. Um, and the other big thing was loss of proprioception. So that works with your ears and balance. Um, basically my balance was entirely visually dependent. So, you know, if I could be helped to stand up holding a walker, or a, a guided implement, but if I close my eyes, I keel over like the leaning tower of Pisa because uh, my body was entirely dependent on using my vision as a frame of reference for balance. Wow. Crazy, man. So let's, then let's fast forward when, at what point in your journey did we meet you? Well, yeah, so, and, then, and I want everybody to know, you know, the, the synchronicity that I tap on uh, in the last couple episodes, <laughs> we, we met Sean through synchronicity. It was pretty amazing. You want to, you want to go ahead and share that story with him? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I had plenty of experience and interest in psychedelics and conscious altering substances from my uh, personal career, we'll call it. And it was less of a, a healthy endeavor. But around the time when I had gotten sick, there, we were starting to see research about ketamine being a wonder drug for depression. And, uh, you know, there were implications that it was beneficial neurologically and that it might share the qualities that psilocybin mushrooms have with neurogenesis and putting the brain in the state of hyperneuroplasticity. Uh, but at that point, for me, it wasn't yet proven science. And I think the only research at that point had been done in mice. So uh, I was a bit of a pioneer. Uh, I was I was still in a wheelchair while I'd gotten to where I could walk with a, a walker. I was still completely numb and sensationless and had no sense of balance. So I was also on pres- 11, yeah, 11 prescription medications, uh, including benzos, antipsychotics, SSRIs. Uh, I call it a pharmaceutical lobotomy. So uh, and then by way of elimination, they said, you know, uh, they said, I can never drink again. I can never do any substances because, uh, for instance, cocaine is a vasoconstrictor and would make my blood vessels constrict. And that might make me relapse and end up back in the wheelchair. So when I left physical therapy and God bless those people, they saved my life and really met me at my level and uh, engaged me and kept it challenging to try to get me walking again. But when I left physical therapy, I was still more or less in my wheelchair all the time. I could walk in a walker as a performance act, but the balance and the sensation weren't there. I was miserably bored. I went from being isolated in a hospital room where no one could give me a hug and everyone had to stand six feet away from me. And then I was excited to get out. And then I got home to my apartment, uh, returned to work for Amazon in a wheelchair, which went as well as you can imagine it would, and was still completely isolated in my apartment. It was like I'd gone from one form of jail to another. Um, and 
you know, I had an appetite for ketamine in a recreational capacity. And by process of elimination, it was like the only thing left that I could potentially enjoy or relieve myself with, uh, you know, to try to not be such a miserable, lonely person and uh, used my nefarious ways and uh, experimented with that. And at that point, I was still, again, completely numb and sensationless. And uh, it was a Friday night. I hung out, watched cartoons, do what you do when you do that stuff. I woke up the next morning feeling okay, you know, typical little groggy. And I transferred from my bed to my wheelchair. And so I'm rolling down the hallway. My cat brushed against my leg and I could feel every individual fine hair uh, against my calf. And uh, I think the only or definitely the first time in my life that I've happy cried. And I just purged for 20 minutes because I was never supposed to get better. And then something made me better. And uh, with that, I had already been kind of a, a pharmacopoeia nerd and a pharmacology nerd and already had a lot of familiarity with ketamine as a chemical compound and how it supposedly interacts with the brain. But, uh, you know, there was the definitive proof. I had something that people don't get better from and somehow I was suddenly a little bit better. Uh, so uh, we'll begin. I'll say I began treating myself, but, uh, you know, Northern Virginia at that time, I was still isolated in an apartment wasn't feeling very fulfilled. All there was to do up there was go out and party, even if the world was open, but it was COVID. So it wasn't. So uh, returning to the great free state of Florida made a lot of sense because I had a lot of really positive things for me there, fishing and uh, communities based outside of uh, addiction and use. And in moving back to Florida, I was hanging out at a Kava bar and I could talk about Kava and Kratom for hours. I'm a big believer in that stuff. Uh, But when I was hanging out at the Kava bar, I overheard some guy say ketamine like two times. And I went, well, so those are words that matter to me. <laughs> Your ears broke up. up. <laughs> I, yeah. And I walked up to, turned out to be Charles and said, Hey, how's it going? You, you said a word that makes a lot of sense to me. He goes, Oh, Hey man, like, yeah, we, we run a ketamine clinic. And I said, what? That's, that's legal. We can do that. Yeah. Man. <laughs> Here's my card. And uh, it was just a real light bulb moment because, uh, you know, where in my past life I had been a recreational person trying to have a good time, I now had a complete different intention, a completely different goal. I wanted to get better. I wanted to heal myself. I wanted to have some semblance of a normal life. And so in that beautiful way in a community that I like to discover that there was a place where I could continue my treatment both legally and with untold more levels of efficacy uh, for a myriad of reasons, uh, it was a truly magical thing. So I think I, I set an appointment for as quick as I possibly could. Um, can't say enough good things about the intake experience, the facility, the consultation with Dr. Ferber, and um, obviously having the medicine administrated and delivered the right way was infinitely more effective than what I had been doing, uh, you know, under the shade tree, as they say, shade tree mechanic, my own body. But uh, it, it was so freeing to find that the medicine that helps me and gave me the care that I needed was legally available, encouraged and overwhelmingly positive. Um, and so I went through we call it the initial six to eight loading doses and things just kept getting better. You know, at that point I could walk, but I was still really clumsy. I was close to 300 pounds. I was still on 11 different uh, prescription medications that were robbing me of any emotion or connection with the world. And, uh, you know, things just started getting better. My brain just felt better. You know, I used to feel these pressure spots and uh, I could tell my brain wasn't healthy and damaged some, so many years of drug abuse and nitrous oxide abuse and, all of a sudden I just started feeling better. And at that point, scientific research was beginning to come out and be validated beyond the realm of rodents and mice. Uh, But it almost felt like I was patient zero. And as I would improve and get better, everything I would see and get that got released 
would reaffirm and validate what I was experiencing. Um, and then to make a long story short, it had such a profoundly positive impact on my life. I begged Charles and Christina. I said, I'm going to work with you guys one day. I don't know in what capacity. I'm a really well-trained professional corporate sales guy, but this is what I want to do. I want to help people. You know, I was never supposed to walk again and somehow I can and nobody else with my condition can. And the only thing I did differently was ketamine and abstention from alcohol and all the other stuff and kind of a lifestyle change. And with that, it feels like I'm the first villager that discovered fire. And if I'm not showing everybody else how to make fire, then I'm wasting breath on this planet. Yeah. You know, Sean, Sean, Sean is a remarkable man, but has, you know, this remarkable story and, and the, the results that he got from, you know, the use of ketamine for the therapeutic value is just mind blowing. You know, it, this, this medicine can help for such a gambit of things, but like, you know, the, you know, Sean ended up getting off of 11 med different medications through the use of his ketamine therapy. And, you know, when, when Sean came on, we actually, you know, we, we were trying to, he was trying to, you know, help get more people to the facility. And unfortunately, you know, these treatments do cost money that sometimes people don't have access to. So we actually just recently launched the Warriors of Consciousness, which is a nonprofit organization. And Sean is an intricate part of that, where we're going to be raising funds for people that can't afford ketamine therapy. Absolutely. Uh, when you guys gave me the opportunity to join the team and essentially talk to people that were interested in therapy and just answer questions as someone who is both intimately familiar with the scientific research and data, as well as experienced it firsthand uh, every which way that you can, you know, it made a lot of sense that I could help guide people and ease them into the experience because the first thing you hear, oh, it's a horse tranquilizer. Hmm. Horses are mammals. Humans are mammals. Oh, wait, it's almost like we are biologically indistinct and it is only the dosage that makes the difference. And oh, wait, it was designed as a human anesthetic, but I'll save that soapbox for later. Uh, but it, no, it's so you know, true, though. I mean, I think that's one of the first things that we hear. It's like, oh, it's a horse tranquilizer. Oh, you put down cats with it. It's like, no, <laughs> no, no, it's like, yes, it is so safe that, yes, they use it on animals. I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions that we actually run into. It's like that's the thing I constantly hear over and over again. Isn't that a horse tranquilizer? And it's just like it, this medicine is so diverse and has so many different capabilities for animals and human beings. And, you know, I think that's what's really very magical about it in a lot of ways is because the potential it has to, you know, help in so many areas of not only people's lives, but animals' lives as well. Yeah. Right. And my, my father's a veterinarian, my sister's an RN, uh, the overwhelming majority of my friends practice medicine in one shape or another. I'm lucky to know several anesthesiologists and what they often cite to me is such the miracle of ketamine is that it doesn't suppress the respiratory effect, respiratory right. reflex, excuse me. So uh, I went to school in North Philadelphia. Philadelphia is riddled with opioid epidemic. Kensington is maybe the worst heroin village in the world. It's the saddest thing you've ever seen. So my friends that are ER docs at Temple and Jefferson and North Philly, uh, when someone comes in off the street and they got hit by a car or something, the assumption, the presumption is that they're on an opioid because the epidemic is just that bad. Uh, you know, the most effective, arguably the most effective anesthetic is propofol. That's countdown from 10 and you're out. But propofol interacts with opioids and suppresses the respiratory function. So if someone gets hit by a car, they happen to be an addict with an overwhelming amount of opioids in their system, and they come in and they need to be put under and they give them propofol, that person will stop breathing and die. The beautiful thing about ketamine is it doesn't have any positive interactions with opioids or 
any other substances that I'm aware of, but I know for certain that ketamine does not suppress the respiratory function. So someone can be struggling, be an addict, unfortunately get hit by a car, whatever happens to them. Uh, and where, you know, there was a time where there wasn't a safe way to put them under anesthesia to operate or perform. Ketamine now allows us to do that because we can put them under safely and comfortably without suppressing the respiratory function. Uh, it's also organically one of the most friendly compounds to the human body. We've been using it in medicine since uh, 70 or 71, I believe, was the FDA approval. So that's uh, a long-term study is considered seven years. We're going on close to six, seven decades now. Uh, and we are. it has been so widely used that if there was any long-term effect, we would be overwhelmingly aware of it. Um, and, you know, you know, I, 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 I feel like I, ketamine I, is just so undervalued for sure. And like, and I love the fact that you brought up the safety profile with, you know, having the capability of using ketamine for people that are already under the influence of opiates, you know, during like the, the one thing I get when, when people are calling and asking, you know, like, what's the, you know, like, what if I'm on antidepressants? What if I'm on uh, antipsychotic medication? Because I know with ayahuasca, you know, you can't be on SSRIs. It can have a, you know, it can have a negative effect with the medicine. It can be very dangerous. In fact, one of the fantastic things about ketamine is like, you can really be on a list of different medications and we can still treat you with ketamine, which is really fantastic because, you know, people don't have to just drop off their meds in order to do these treatments. 100%. And, you know, uh, I think even more beautiful than the fact that I can walk and feel and touch and play guitar and live a normal life. Uh, I was on Seroquel, Cymbalta, Lexapro, Xanax, uh, shorter acting Xanax, Oxazepam, Flexeril, uh, all, all the things in the book uh, to the point where I didn't even realize how disconnected and out of touch with the world I was. I was a, a lethargic, empty shell that woke up, ate food, used the bathroom, puddled about my day and just had no investment in it. And I never wanted to be on those medications to begin with. It was just a situation that when you show up to the hospital, literally in the hospital bed, you take the pills that they give you. And then only when it was too late that I figure out what they were. So uh, you know, while the initial effort was just treating my ataxia and my loss of balance and, you know, trying to be able to walk again and seem to be doing something there, I also did have a very strong desire to get off these prescription medications because, you know, hey, if the doctor prescribes you something and you need it, that makes sense. But I didn't feel like I needed to be on 11 medications, not for the length and duration of time that I was. And uh, we now have research to confirm this. But again, at the time that I was doing it, it was like patient zero there was suspicion that it helped put the brain in homeostasis and there was suspicion that it might help the brain reset chemical balances. Um, to make a long story short, I began my treatment at my self wellness in the year of fall of 2020. In the fall of 2020, I took my last dose of Cymbalta. It was the last prescription I was on. And I'm now so overwhelmingly proud to report that I am on zero prescription medications. Mm -hmm. I've never Amazing. felt better. Um, I, have, I feel like I we need a, a little bell to ring or something. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I went for the treatment of the ataxia and the numbness, but it's like this medication treated everything that was ever wrong with me because we now know with scientific observation and evidence that after six to eight treatments, the brain is put in a state of neuroplasticity, meaning, you know, when you're a little kid, you can learn new languages and pick up new habits easily because your brain is malleable. You can learn things. The brain will alter uh, but as we're adults, you know, the ability to learn new things closes down a little bit, but we can still get better at the things that are already channeled and put there. Um, we found that ketamine, similarly to psilocybin, puts the brain in the state of hyperneuroplasticity where the brain is actually healing itself. So 
uh, unique to this medication. I'm, I'm honestly not aware of any others where instead of treating the symptom, we are treating a source of the ailment. And so uh, sometimes you'll see a graph that shows what a football player's brain waves look like after they have a concussion and show, you know, pre-concussion, the, the signal goes to point A, point B, point A, point B, and that's the neural highway that it follows. After they have a concussion, it looks like a four-leaf clover pattern. So it goes here and there, and it's all disconnected, and the neurons aren't talking to each other. Um, and ketamine, to my knowledge, with psilocybin is the only thing that actually puts the brain in a state of hyperneuroplasticity, allows those neurons to heal, forges a new neuron neural pathways, and allows you to really adopt and ingrain whatever uh, sort of integration work you do. So while the experiences themselves work on two levels, there's both the physiological level on which the medicine is working, uh, and that's going to happen whether you want it to or not. And then if you meet it in the middle and uh, do some of the work to take advantage of the, the mental relief and exercise that mental muscle like any other muscle, there's a lot that can be done. Uh, but just, you know, the fact that the neural pathways are literally recut and reforged, the neurons are healed. I mean, I could burn my lighter, my hand with a lighter and I would never be the wiser. And now I think my fingers are more sensitive and dexterous than maybe they've ever been. Um, that's, so that's, that's beautiful. And I remember, listen, one thing that you actually told me that really resonated and stuck with me is like, Sean was an avid skateboarder and guitar player. And, you know, like these were his passions and this is what really put a fire, like, you know, in his life and gave him his zest for life. And he wasn't capable of doing that because of what he had went through. And if I'm not mistaken, it was through the use of ketamine that you actually got the mobility to start doing this again. Is that correct? That's absolutely right. Yeah. Uh, I picked up the guitar and I started trying to play again at some point in my recovery, but I was still so numb and clumsy and undexterous. And uh, I think it was related to proprioception. I, I lost the ability to keep time. I couldn't play on rhythm or play on beat. Um, and then at some point with treatment that turned around. And then similarly, when I, you know, I was starting to get much more mobile and malleable, my balance was coming back and, uh, my, my team of physical therapists at Reston Hospital will always be the people that saved my life. But uh, hanging out at the same place I met Charles, uh, met a, someone who works in physical therapy, and we started shooting pool and connecting a little bit. And I told him my story, and I said, you know, I've, I've been doing stuff like standing on the balance disc, and, you know, I, I have to do things to challenge myself with balance and really try to fight that and retrain my brain. And he said, oh, well, do you, do you like skateboarding? And I said, I could never stand on a skateboard again. And he said, no, no, man, you should you should really consider getting back into it. And uh, you know, within a month I was pushing around a parking lot. And then two months after that, I was back on my longboard doing hills. And, uh, I sent one of my old physical therapists, uh, a short little clip of me riding a skateboard and she freaked out, you know, why are you doing that? You have a spinal injury if you fell again, but <laughs> oh my God, how can you do that again? And, uh, <laughs> it, it was one of the more satisfying of emotions. <laughs> yeah. It was one of those things where if someone tells you, you can't do something, you find five ways that you can do that. And, uh, well, well, you know, getting... you can't let anybody tell you you can't. No, for sure. Mm -hmm. And listen, like you know, like I want to like let people know that, like you know, Sean's a warrior. Like, like Sean, you know, he used the medicine, but like he took the reins and he really started working on all of this stuff. He took it upon himself to do the physical therapy. You know, Sean started doing healthier things for himself, yeah. and like. You know, that's when we go back to the medicine's a catalyst, the medicine's a tool, but then, you know, it's like, you really got to put forth the work and the effort to make these things fall into place for yourself. That's so important. What I talk to people about often, uh, you know, I'm obviously not a doctor or anything, but I'm the villager that found the fire and I feel <laughs> compelled to discuss it with anyone who will listen. And I've been lucky enough to have uh, people that are interested in the process and what it's like uh, for things like chronic pain and other issues we can treat with it, reach out. 
Um, and the one thing I always make sure to really highlight is nowhere in medicine will you ever find something where you can push a button and magically make things 100% better. It will meet you in the middle if you meet it there. So, you know, there are people that say, oh, it didn't work for me and I just got really disoriented. Well, they weren't there to do the work. You know, when I I went from being a very talented and gifted person that everything came easily to me and I took life for granted. And even at the time, I can remember realizing, like, I probably don't appreciate this the way that I should. Uh, and then I lost everything. I was making an ungodly amount of money. I had things really going on. And then through all this, I lost my job. I was unemployed for eight months. I couldn't walk. I couldn't play guitar. I couldn't use the bathroom without someone helping me on the toilet. Uh, and so that kind of changed my state of mind. I remember when I went into physical therapy, they said, okay, honey, now do you want to work out two or three times a week? I said, I was a college athlete. I'm going to work out two times a day. I'm a paying customer. Your job is to break me. If I don't break every day, we're not working hard enough. And they laughed at me. They thought you'll never be able to do that. You know, one of the big things with Lyme and then any spinal condition or paralysis is a lack of energy and a lack of drive. You're just lethargic and you don't want to do anything because you quite literally can't. And I was so blessed to have a physical therapy team that would stay after hours. And if I wanted to work and try going up and down stairs or, you know, they would put me on this rig where they would try to push me over and knock me over to retrain my balance. And that that instilled this fighting spirit where if I wasn't making myself uncomfortable and doing something hard and doing something scary every day, then that wasn't helping me recover. And so once I got some of my mobility back and got to a point where like, all right, I can walk a little bit again, like maybe that stuff's going to get better but I'm on 11 medications. I've never been a happy person. I've been on some kind of benzo for anxiety since I was 14 years old. Uh, definitely have legitimate depression, though I never wanted to be on the SSRIs. And uh, But I was always just scared of getting to know myself. You know, uh, for as much as I was a drug abuser and loved drugs, you know, things like LSD and psilocybin were my least favorite because that was eight hours of having to honestly get to know myself. And that was terrifying because <laughs> I hated myself and I was, I didn't like who I met and who I talked to. It was like, I was afraid of the person I would met, meet when I entered that state and entered those experiences. And then, uh, you know, through time and working with the medicine, uh, one of the original great ketamine scientists, his name was John Lilly. And he advocated that you needed to use the medicine about 500 times before you really started to learn how to work with it, engage with it, because uh, especially someone who doesn't have any psychedelic or dissociative experience, when you come into that and have the acute realization that your consciousness and your mind's eye is not physically connected to the body, it's terrifying. That's the K-hole. I hate that word, but that's the K-hole everyone talks about. But no, that's the whole point. Um, you know, We teach people to lean into surrender and acceptance because if you can surrender and accept every wacky, weird thing that happens in that out-of-body experience, then whatever happens in your life is going to be trivial and nominal by comparison. Like if I was okay and content riding through that, then why would a little interpersonal argument ever bother me? And, um, you know, I went from, again, being a person that was miserable, unhappy, hated myself. I love to beat myself up. I would drive down the road and say things like, throw, just throw me off a cliff, just throw me off a cliff, send me into one-way traffic right now to, uh, you know, I think around treatment two or three, I thought, what if I just told myself that I'm okay? And, I think it was my second or my third treatment at the clinic where I just went into it. The only thing I'm going to think about today, I love myself and I'm okay. And that's enough for me. I love myself. I'm okay. And that's enough for me. Uh, and I've, I think my, my, my state of being and who I am just really bloomed from that. And there came a point when I don't hate myself and I'm actually very happy with who I am. And I'm very proud that I've been through something that gives me the capacity to potentially help other people and connect with them and make it useful. And, um, I, I think that's what's so important about the 
being able to do treatments in the clinic with the right intention because, uh, you know, I, I started doing ketamine in like 2010 recreationally. It was a fun time, but you don't really get much out of it because you're so worried about getting arrested. And is there something in it? And, you know, it, it's that whole thrill of the chase thing. And then when you finally get it, oh, okay, well, now I'm just messed up and it's a good time. But the, the legitimacy of the facility takes out that anxiety, allows you to have the intentionality. I want to use this as a tool for healing. I'm not trying to have fun. I'm trying to get better. Um, yeah. And that that framework just became such a beautiful thing for everything else in my life because, okay, well, what about the food I eat? What about the way that I take care of myself? Like, what else can I be doing to meet my brain in the middle and give my sense, myself a chance to heal? Um, and in a period of about a year and a half, maybe two years, I, I don't recognize myself. I don't have any of the same habits. I don't see many of the same people and I, I wouldn't have it any other way. And, uh, you know, in my mind, whenever that was, whenever, that was in, beautiful, in, that was, you know, Hey, listen, man, like, I know, like I, I, I talked to you about it before and it's like, it's like psychedelic medicines and, and ketamine, like gave me the ability to truly love myself. I couldn't stand myself. I hated myself for years on then also. And I think that that's one of the most beautiful things about these compounds. And is I it, think that's why intention is just so important too. A hundred percent. You know, listen, like, like the Sean's story is amazing. And this isn't the only time we're going to be having him on the show. We're going to be having Sean on frequently because he's such a wealth of knowledge. And he's, you know, Sean, Sean's a pioneer in this field as well, just because he's out here and he's, he's spreading the word. He's spreading the gospel. An evangelist. Yeah, I know. We're the, <laughs> we're the psychedelic evangelists of this field right now, but it's because both of us, you know, not just us and there's so many others, but like, we're truly passionate about this because it saved our lives and it completely changed our lives for the better. You know, it's like I said, I say all the time, like I wouldn't be on this show having this conversation right now. If it wasn't for psychedelic compounds, I probably wouldn't be here. I'd probably be dead. And one of the great travesties to me is that people have to go through experiences like mine or yours with addiction and whatnot. Cause you know, three years ago, if I got on the radio or talked to anyone and said, Hey, I think ketamine is a really good thing and it helps people. They'd say, what that hurt. <laughs> What, what kind of what kind of fucking person are you? But now I have this now I have this magical shield to hide behind. I think ketamine's a good thing. Oh, what, what I can walk again and I'm not supposed to. Oh, okay. And you know it really sucks that a person has to go through something like that in order to have the legitimacy and the credibility to advocate that this is a good thing and a helpful thing because my depression and my anxiety, my impulsivity, everything that was plaguing my life and ultimately rolled up into the issues that probably resulted in the autoimmune response I had to Lyme disease. That could have been treated much earlier down the line. I didn't need to be on those medications for years. At one point, I was a miserable opioid addict. I was a miserable benzodiazepine Xanax addict. And that all started because I was legitimately prescribed them for legitimate reasons. And, you know, again, with those efforts, we were treating a symptom, not the problem. And this is, again, one of two substances I know of that treat the problem. Um, And, you know, there, there is... Listen, listen, man. I appreciate what you're doing by speaking your truth and, you know, and that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. Also, we need more people to do this. We need more people to help break these stereotypes and taboos associated associated with these medicines, because, you know, it's like, if you have these amazing results, you need to tell people about it. You know, you don't be ashamed of what we went through. Everybody went through what they went through to get to where we're going. And I really feel like we need to use like not only this platform, but any platform possible to spread the gospel about how you know these medicines are completely changing the game for people when nothing else can yeah 
and I think even more important than utilizing the platforms is just in your daily life and conversations. You know, mm-hmm. I've, I've, I've worked for some pretty big name technology companies in the corporate sales world. And, uh, I would always have to hide that part of my life and, you know, be very quiet. You couldn't even talk about smoking weed at that point. And, uh, now I think if I'm not completely open and transparent about who I am and what I do as a person and what I do to make me okay and successful as a person, but I'm doing a disservice because, uh, you know, not that I'm so great and everything, but, you know, I lost my job. I was never supposed to work again. Now I'm working for a fantastic company in a very big, important way and having conversations with very important people on a regular basis. And I almost enjoy the loop I throw them through. Oh, so what else do you do? You know what? I have a passion project in psychedelic medicine. Oh, and then I get to tell them, yeah, I was a normal person who got sick like anybody else, who suffered like anybody else, but I got better because I did things that everybody else is discouraged from doing. And, you know, the thought is, oh, well, if you do acid or psychedelics, you're going to have 10 foot dreadlocks and you're going to make your existence by selling grilled cheese sandwiches on fish tour a lot. And, you know, I really do enjoy seeing fish on tour, but uh, I'm also still a pretty respectful guy. Hey, with but, a nice but car if that home floats and... your boat, then go ahead and do it. That's what makes me happy. I, I, all, all I mean to say is that there's, there's a stigma that if you yeah. engage in these certain activities, then you're going to become these burnout hippies with no future and no applicability in the in the professional world that people are for some reason so eager to get into and i just can't wait to get out of it quickly enough Uh, but i i try as much as i can without being too self-gratifying just to show that i use these things in an appropriate way in the way that we are intended to use them my life has never been better i accomplished the same goals and the things that people who demonize these compounds do uh, and, you know, they demonize them because they say it would come between them and their professional success and achieving all the things they wanted. And, you know, in my case, it's a situation where I wouldn't have achieved anything and I wouldn't have a third of the things that are important to me in my life were it not through using these compounds. In a no, you, you, man, and you hit it on the head too. Listen, man, like, you know, like I wear my sports coats. I wear like, like, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm a professional. I am a professional that healed and had my life saved by psychedelics. And I think that's another taboo and stigma that we actually need to break. Yeah. And I know both of you could, can go on for hours, <laughs> but we're out of time for today. And your story is just so amazing, Sean. And I really appreciate you taking the time to, to join us here today. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on brother. And you know, we're going to have you back on soon. Thank you both so much. It's an absolute pleasure. And uh, it is my life's mission at this point to advocate and promote this treatment as much as I can. Uh, Obviously, everything has a potential for abuse if used improperly. But the way the world now, you don't have to do it that way. We have wonderful facilities like Myself Wellness, where you can get the access to treatment properly tailored for yourself. And then most importantly, the integration work that follows. So uh, I would encourage anyone that feels as miserable as I may have felt or anything close to it. You don't have to feel that way. You've probably already been on all the pills that the normal doctor gives you. What do you have to lose? The worst thing that happens is you wake up and you still feel the same way you felt today. The only thing that can happen is that you get better. These compounds are safe. They're proven. They wouldn't be FDA approved if they weren't. There's no reason not to take your own care into your hands and advocate for your own well-being. Beautifully said, man. Beautifully said. Thank you for joining us on this edition of Psychedelic Radio. You can download our past episode by going to CannabisRadio.com or subscribing to our show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. To learn more about psychedelic ketamine therapy, please visit our website, MySelfWellness.Center. Thanks for taking this journey with us. And if if nobody's nobody's told told you that they they love love you lately, we do. do. Have an amazing day, everybody. 
The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited. When work flies out of control, Harrelson's Zone keeps me cool as a cucumber. When the kids turn unholy, Harrelson's Own keeps my patience divine. Life can be chaotic, but Harrelson's Own CBD helps keep you calm through any storm. Harrelson's Own consistently delivers you full mind and body homeostasis. It's an organic, full-spectrum CBD and a refreshing oral spray. Our nano-emulsified technology makes it completely water-soluble, so your body absorbs it immediately. You'll start to feel it in seconds, not 60 minutes. It just makes everything feel better. Give Harrelson's Own a try, from our family to yours. Give your life a boost. It's just the best you've ever felt in your natural state. It just feels sensational. Go to sensational.com to order now. Sensational.com. Go to sensational.com forward slash family for 25% off your order. Yes, 25% off. That's sensational.com forward slash family. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. 